One of the best things about the 21st century has been the variety of creative ways radio has evolved. Really? That's one of the best things? It's not been the best century, then. It's been slim. (laughs) But the legacy of Marconi is in good hands with Alex Lefchik and the midweek drivettes. So we got that going for us. Which is nice. It is time now for another Tipperary Tale from Jenny Finch. Go, Jenny. Hello, and this Tipperary Tale is from August last year. I began this week thinking there would be no news for the blog, but it seems I was wrong. First, I would like to share some writing news with you all. The fifth book in the Alex Hastings series is due out next year, though the actual publication date depends on a lot of things beyond my control. I'm waiting for an editor and for my publisher to do the cover design and say whether he or I will supply the blurb. Then the ebook version needs setting up and final proofs have to be checked. This is tedious, but so important as part of publication, and it takes months sometimes. The book itself was finished several times in several different forms over the last few years. This is because I became embroiled with an agent, who will be nameless for now, who promised a lot, but seemed to constantly change her mind about what she wanted. After rewriting, editing, and adding sections, she finally decided she wanted the whole thing moved to the year 2020. Eager as I was, this was a step too far and impossible. The levels have changed beyond recognition since the 1980s. The probation service scarcely exists and Alex and her friends would be retiring. Now restored to its former, more coherent form, I hope a long shadow will be with you soon. Even more exciting in some ways is the news I have signed a TV option for Death of the Elverman. John Moore, the manager of a new media company, Blue Trotter Media Limited, is hoping to turn it into a four or six part drama and has also taken future options on the other books. So if it is a success, there may be more. Now is the time to start fantasy casting. John is very skilled and experienced with TV and film work to his name, particularly in the field of special effects and prosthetics. Moving into production will be a new step for him, and I'm looking forward to working with him and the team. Now, I promised an update on the boot. Well, that is all turning rather strange. I went into the woods to dig it up earlier this week, and it was gone. There was no sign of other digging. Nothing seemed disturbed, but I couldn't find it anywhere. After a lot of hunting, I spotted the sole propped up against one of the oak trees. The disappointing news is it's just the sole of an old canvas trainer or something like that. But how did it get there? And there was a discarded medical mask pushed into a pile of sticks and grass off to one side. That was definitely not ours. Of course, as a crime writer, I am constantly making up stories and constructing narratives. So here are some possible explanations. 
Most prosaically, it was moved by a fox or a badger. But then why was there no sign of digging? It had probably been there for years, certainly as long as we've been in the house. So why now? And would an animal have propped it up neatly on a tree? If it was human intervention, maybe something was buried under it and retrieved. Or perhaps it pointed towards something buried or hidden and it was moved to hide the trail from prying eyes. Or maybe someone's just messing with our heads. So for all of those of you who wonder, where do you get your ideas? There's always something you can toy with. Everything is copy, they say, and the world is full of details and events that can become a story. Finally, there's still no movement of the car or movement on the car. Fingers crossed for next week. I'm checking my bike as I may need to do the cycle ride into the nearest town soon. And this week, I wrote more of Alex Hastings' six, including two crane days. Feels like a successful week after all. But now we have an hiatus. And first, there's an apology for the lateness of this written episode. I do have an excuse for this tardiness. This last week has been interesting, a bit more interesting than we wanted, to be honest. For the past month, Jackie has had recurring attacks of breathlessness that we had attributed to asthma. Late onset asthma is a family trait and the house has been full of dust from building work. So the ideas seemed reasonable. However, on Sunday last, she had a very nasty attack and I almost called an ambulance. Then we went to see the doctor and he took one look at her and ordered to the regional hospital in Limerick, over 40 miles away. We had been rolling down the roads, happy that our car insurance problem was finally at an end. Thank goodness it was we would have been in deep trouble. Public transport is a bit patchy around here and non-existent as far out as our house. The few cab drivers in the area have shut up shop due to COVID and the waiting times for a cab from the local town can be hours long. We got to A&E at noon and after four hours and several tests, they whisked her upstairs. Now, I was in a strange and very busy town and in shock. I was also frantic to get back, as we'd not expected any of this, and the dogs had been alone for almost six hours, and I'd never driven in Ireland. I was going to take it slowly, getting used to quiet roads first. Dyspraxics find it very hard to automate anything physical, and driving unfamiliar roads with slightly different rules is a huge strain. Then a lovely, kind and helpful taxi driver arrived. He drove me the whole way home and came to collect me the next morning, round trips of over a hundred miles. At least I could take Jackie some clean clothes, a toothbrush and some things to keep her occupied. It's just as well Jackie was in the hospital that night as she had what they refer to rather delicately as an episode. I found out about it when I rang to see if she could come home 
and encountered a bit more Irish candour than I wanted. The staff were, by the way, overwhelmingly efficient, kind and helpful. We cannot thank them enough. But this was not a conversation I expected. Oh, now, Jackie. Well, she's having a bad day of it. Whatever could go wrong has, you know. Oh, it's terrible for her. She's not well at all. Right. Looking back, I can actually chuckle about that encounter. Jackie's abiding recollection is the clear organisation and teamwork which made her feel in very safe hands. I drove the car back that morning following clear instructions from Kieran, the wonderful taxi driver. He'd showed me the easiest route, pointed out landmarks and said, don't worry about anyone else. They want to pass you, that's their problem. You just drive as you feel comfortable. The next day I had to go into town for food for the dogs and they'd set to making the house clean and safe for Jackie's return whenever that might be. When I went to change the bed linen, I was horrified to find it full of little bugs. Then I put my glasses on and swept up all the biscuit crumbs left by Charlie, our youngest dog. I got her home yesterday, a long and horrible week later, and she's doing okay. It was Kieran who did the journey one more time, as we couldn't get any notice of her leaving and all the delays ran through the day and into the evening. These, by the way, were caused by an extraneous department and not the unit she was in. The next four weeks are to help her rest and recover a bit before they decide the best way forward. We are revising plans for some of the building work, doing only essentials for the time being. I have to drive for a while, but the outcome has been a lot better than we might have expected. We are settling into this lovely house and with a new boiler and almost finished extension, we will be warm and safe as winter draws on. So many people have been so kind and helpful, offering emotional and practical support. HSC Ireland were magnificent, even letting me visit one afternoon. I did have to wear full PPE and apparently resembled a blue jelly baby but it was worth doubling as a smurf to spend that precious hour with her. So that explains the lateness of this last episode. I hope you agree this note does explain my tardiness. Thank you. Yes, I think that can actually sort of be a, a reasonable excuse for uh, uh, working through the whole process, Jenny. So uh, I think on behalf of the listener, we'll say, yes, that's, that's perfectly okay and, and acceptable. Uh, so hectic times, but kind of best of times, worst of times, it would seem. Well, yes, life's rich pattern indeed. Yes, it was um, it was a bit of a shock, and we're still coping with all the all the fallout, but we are getting there slowly. Two steps forward, one back, but that's still one step forward. And clearly, uh, lots of uh, news um, in terms of the uh, possible uh, television adaptation, etc. That's still looking very good, presumably. It is, yes. We're actually looking at casting a couple of people soon. Um, John's still frantically working out in Atlanta on Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, but he should be back soon and hopes to have some good news for me. Fingers crossed. 
Well, I mean, clearly Rocket Raccoon, uh, as uh, one of the lead characters in an Alex Hastings <laughs> novel, has, has got to be written. I mean, if not that, then at least you can actually work in I Am Groot a few times to actually just get the whole message across. Oh, I think so. I think so, Alex. I'll make a note of that. Uh, so upcoming, we've got psychologist Elizabeth Kilby talking about why children should actually uh, uh, not be uh, a source of stress, really, when it comes to the Easter vacation, Easter holidays, that you can actually sort of entertain them without breaking the budget and indeed the bank, etc. Um, the other thing we've, we're talking about is a, a wonderful cleaning soul. And you talked about cleaning in your temporary tale uh, today, of course, Jenny. Uh, do you actually have music playing whilst you clean? I always used to, but um, there's very little radio here. There's no DAB, and um, all our radios are DAB radios. There's only about four stations. Um, and so occasionally I do take music around with me, but not that often now. So the onset of uh, dusting to the tune of I Want to Break Free, it doesn't occur within <laughs> uh, uh, Tipperary at present then? I haven't got the legs for it. Freddie Mercury is way ahead of me on that one. It's a whole new world. Uh, for now, Jenny Finch, author, of course, of Tipperary Tales. Uh, quick reminder, how can people actually get in touch with uh, yourself in terms of uh, the socials and actually uh, the Alex Hastings pentology that it will soon be, of course? Absolutely. Um, you can uh, log on to my website, which is uh, Jenny Finch, all one word, dot me dot UK, and it'll take you straight to the blogs and some news. And you can uh, download the books both from Amazon and from, from other sources or go straight to the publisher in press books and they will send you pristine copies. So fuel bills going through the roof. Uh, we've got pressure with respect to time. We've got a whole range of other challenges and let's not get started on the global situation. And it's the school holidays coming up. Uh, so if you've got children, how are you going to keep them entertained over the course of the next few weeks or a couple of weeks uh, and also keep your budget in a reasonably healthy position? Well, perhaps the best person to actually uh, talk to about this is child psychologist extraordinaire. Uh, she knows all about secret life of, of young people, young adults, etc. It's Dr. Elizabeth Kilby. How are you, Elizabeth? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. Well, it's great to connect with the good self. Um, and this is a big issue and actually a matter of some concern for many parents. How do people actually sort of keep youngsters entertained? Or is it just a case of a bit like Christmas time, as long as they've got the cardboard box, they'll be perfectly happy? Well, you're absolutely right. And this is why I was really pleased to be involved in some research with Fruit Shoot, who surveyed parents and found, um, perhaps surprisingly that or, or not, that 90% of parents felt daunted about keeping their children entertained uh, during the Easter holidays. And I, I felt really sad about that because I think parents are thinking that it needs to be the days out, big ticket events. And actually, from a psychology research perspective, what we know is that it isn't. It's about time spent with them. It's about the simple activities. It's about engaging together. How you actually get that engagement, of course, is, is pretty critical. And I see that many of your recommendations actually are sort of the fairly standard, the traditional ones, one might say, get uh, children playing outside to save money, get them off the screen, perhaps, keep them active, build their skill set. Um, it sounds so simple. Is it a case of we've overcomplicated as we actually sort of become more technologically oriented? I think it's something about the pressure that parents put on themselves. I, I think they have an expectation that they need to, uh, you know, make it really comp complicated. You know, this kind of idea about quality time, uh, meaning that it has to be something complex. And I, and I think actually it's about giving parents permission to 
you know, do exactly all the things that we know that children like, you know, uh, doing some craft activities, playing together, games, stuff outside. It, it doesn't have to be complicated, but it's about saying to parents, if you can schedule some of that in on a regular basis, the benefits to your children are enormous. Now, Fruit Shoot have actually not only done the survey, but they've also created an activity booklet with activities that children and adults can do together. Could do together. Uh, just talk us through, I mean, from that point of view, Elizabeth, is, is that just a case of, yeah, literally, this is, as it says on the descriptor, it's things that you can actually do which are inexpensive, which you can actually do together. That is exactly what it is. And, and two of my favourites. Well, so we've, there's instructions on how to make a a homemade giant bubble blower. So this ticks all the boxes for me. It's outdoors, it's messy, and it's kind of, you know, fun running around stuff. So, you know, and it's really straightforward to follow. But even for things that I would consider myself quite low on the sort of crafty parenting ability scale, but there's a really brilliant activity where you can make an Easter bunny out of an empty bottle. And it's simple to follow, it's visual, children can kind of lead the way. So what, what I really want parents to get out of using the activity pack is to allow their children to lead, to work through the stages, to develop the skills, and for you to be there kind of alongside helping so you can step in you know, when, when they need some more support because it's as much about building their confidence as it is about building their skills. This seems a fairly self-evident uh, question, and I suspect the answer might be, well, of course it's beneficial for children to spend their time outside playing, but there will be concerns clearly that, you know, despite the weather conditions, and that's, of course, another issue, as long as they're wrapped up warm, etc. maybe they'll be making snowmen this Christmas, it's just a thought, uh, or this winter, I should say, this Easter. You see, I haven't even got the seasons right, Elizabeth. This is the, the sort of bizarre nature we're actually in here. But if, if we're looking for that, um, is, is that a case of, of actually, you know, healthy mind healthy body actually getting engaged with uh, games outside can actually obviously build resilience and actually help all sorts of uh, uh, aspects as far as children are, are developing i mean the answer is yes there is lots of evidence to say adventure play outdoor play play that involves um, cognitive skills as well as physical skills combined is hugely beneficial particularly for young children's development and I know that lots of parents have worry about tech use and the reality is that's an inevitable part of children's childhood now in a way that it probably wasn't for mine growing up so it's not a, that you know one thing is good and one thing is bad it's about having the balance and the thing about tech is it, it's inactive it's a static activity so it's making sure that if your children are doing that then you are balancing that with outdoor time, physical activities, all of those things that we know are important. Um, are park playgrounds still as popular as they used to be, or is that a case of, no, we don't do the slides anymore, the roundabout and seesaw, that's just ridiculous? Well, I, I, I hope they are as popular as they were, and I hope they're still as available. You know, I think as children move more indoors, what happens is as a result, the kind of outdoor spaces become kind of less available and less accessible. And I want to say to parents, it, it, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be a treasure hunt. How many things can you see that start with the letter B? In our activity pack, we've got a litter pick going on. And that's about helping children connect with the environment, um, taking pride in their local community, getting together with others. It's about helping parents think more broadly about what, what good parenting is and what it is they're hoping to achieve with their children. Yeah, the classic I spy, I think it's, it's one of the greats really and should never actually be underestimated in terms of observation skills and so on. Uh, where can people find out further details about this Fruit Shoot uh, free uh, document suggestion and indeed the survey itself? Where should they go? 
So for more information, I'd really encourage parents to go to fruitshoot.com. Loads of helpful information and they might just get some top tips and ideas. And do you have a favourite yourself, Elizabeth? I mean, if you cast your own mind back to your own childhood, uh, were you always uh, one uh, so there was who was keen to actually, I don't know, uh, play with the hoop or, or, or do house cleaning? I mean, what was what was your own particular favourite? It's really interesting because I was thinking about this today and talking to my children who, who definitely looked at me like I was talking a language they couldn't understand. But I have really strong memories of I used to play with a friend of mine and we used to get a little bucket of water and we'd put loads of rose petals in it and make our own kind of perfume potpourri and then we'd tip it into little bottles and we could lose hours of time doing that. And it's a really strong memory of mine. I you know, really just enjoyed that unstructured outdoor play. Perfect. Dr. Elizabeth Kilby, huge thanks indeed. Keep on keeping on Thank and you. keep on playing. Thank you.
What are you going to do as spring has arrived? I know, uh, looking at the current weather conditions, you might think, what? Spring arrived? Surely not. Or maybe you might actually like to consider doing some internal work and maybe actually start cleaning, because it seems that cleaning is one of those wonderful things that actually makes us feel much more relaxed. And to actually talk about this, plus, of course, uh, what kind of music we might like to listen to whilst cleaning, we're delighted to welcome the Queen of Clean herself. That's the wonderful Lindsay Crombie. How are you, Lindsay? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, absolutely fantastic to do so. And uh, now this uh, survey by floor cleaning specialist Missile, I found that a fifth of uh, British folk find uh, that being at home when it's untidy or unclean actually makes them feel stressed. Um, is that just a case of there's so much chaos around I can't cope with this? Yeah, I think that's very much the case. I think we live very fast paced lives. You know, we're in and out, we're passing ships a lot of the time. And the clutter builds up. But what's really, really interesting is, is that 71% of the UK say that when the home is clean, it really boosts their moods, their productivity, and they just feel like they're in a completely different space, which is so amazing to see. And are there any cleaning jobs that we find most satisfying? Is it a case of polishing? Is it a case of uh, hoovering? Is it a case of uh, just basic dusting? What, what are the kind of key cleaning jobs that we really like? I think it's those jobs that we actually see like an end result or we see dirt actually being removed, you know, general dusting, general vacuuming, they're everyday cleaning tasks that we perhaps do once or twice a week. But when it comes to the big spring clean, we're doing those bigger tasks that can actually be more satisfying when you see the end result. So things like carpet cleaning, you know, we don't do this once a week. We probably do this maybe once a year. Um, it's probably advisable to make this a seasonable task. So maybe, you know, winter, summer, spring. Um, and what I absolutely love about it is, is when you've pulled all that dirt, pet hair, debris out of your carpets and you actually pour it away down the sink or down the toilet you see what was sat in your carpets it's extremely satisfying to see indeed now the other thing of course is uh, music while you work now I, you did test this out with a couple of colleagues and they said no we, we don't listen to any music at all whilst we're cleaning because we can't hear the music over the sound of the uh, uh, the, the vacuum cleaner or various other things i did suggest headphones but they also just gave me a withering look on that basis <laughs> um, but in terms of this, I mean, some classics are here. I mean, you've got Dolly Parton, Nine to Five. You've got Black Eyed Peas, I Got a Feeling, Uptown Funk with Bruno Mars, Living on a Prey by John Bon Jovi. And then, of course, number one, Queen and I Want to Break Free. Do you have a particular favourite from those? 
Yeah, I, I love the Queen one. Um, I want to break free. It's definitely on my list. And I just think turn the music up, you know, then you can hear it over your vacuum. Another one I love is another one by Queen is another one bites the dust. Obviously, when you're dusting, that's a really, really good motivational tune. Um, and it was really interesting that the research actually brought some of my favourites um, to the front there. So it shows that these songs do actually work. They get you up off the sofa. They get you into cleaning mode and they get you dancing around with your vacuum. Mm. Just thinking about the possible neighbours, if you actually sort of ramp it up too much, they might sort of have one or two issues, but just a by the by there. WFH, of course, um, we're still there in certain ways, although it's more a case of not working from home, but uh, working back from the office again. Was there an indication that we were cleaning our homes more uh, when we were working from home or is it a case of, well, actually, we do it less? Um, I think when we've been working from home, you know, you can do more. It's like I've been having um, a few breaks when I've been working from home and you think, oh, I can quickly put another load of washing in. I can give the bathroom a quick wipe over. It gives you that flexibility rather than saving it all up and doing it on your day off when you should be out and enjoying your day off. Nobody wants to be in cleaning all day long. Um, so I think, yeah, in that respect, you know, we have been doing perhaps a bit more. And I also think that COVID has brought to our attention, you know, to pay more attention to those sort of hot spots like door handles and cupboard doors those sorts of things as well so we're definitely much more mindful these days uh, it seems though that the one common uh, sh uh, sure that we don't uh, like is cleaning the toilet um that uh, very much is uh, is 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 at the top of the list from that point of view is that just a case of actually you've just got to deal with it otherwise it'll just get out of control yeah, come on, who likes cleaning the toilet? Let's be honest. But honestly, it's something that we use more than once a day. It does need to be kept clean. And I think if you keep on top of it, a daily wipe, you know, it's never actually going to be really, really dirty. Um, but I know whenever I say to my kids, oh, can you do the toilets? They look at me in disgust as if to say it cleans itself, mum. You know, but somebody needs to do it. Um, so yeah, that one come out in our research as like the most hated task, um, which was interesting. £601 million pounds spent on cleaning each week. So maybe it's not a surprise that some people actually quite like receiving uh, cleaning appliances as a gift. I mean, there was a time, I think, where if one had even dared to actually give a cleaning appliance as a gift, you'd actually get short shrift from the person who was actually receiving it. Yeah. Uh, but um, this is obviously changing. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's actually really nice to see. I have loads of people message me and they say that they want to get their partner something for Christmas, you know, cleaning related. And I give them like options. But I think these days we've got so many amazing gadgets that are available to help us clean. They help us clean much quicker and faster that these gifts actually are the gift of time. So they're actually going to save us time. So when you get a machine that wet, you know, washes your floor, vacuums it at the same time, um, this will do a great wet and dry back. Um, it just makes you think, you know, we're saving time. Time. So why not have it for Christmas if it's going to be something that's going to benefit you for the rest of the year? But I completely agree with you. If we go back, you know, say 20, 30 years, if someone was presented with a duster for Christmas, I don't oh. think the marriage would have lasted much longer. Well, this is my big concern, of course, because I mean, it's almost the equivalent of getting socks and things, but <laughs> possibly even worse, but never mind. Um, Overall, in terms of general tips, um, I mean, for pet owners, if they've got cats, dogs and so on, is it just a case of, well, that's rather like painting the fourth bridge, you're never going to end? Yeah, and I just think, you know, when, when you 
decide to get a pet, you know, your cleaning is going to up again. You need to be very mindful that that is going to happen. You know, keep those windows open every day, you know, for half an hour just to let the fresh air in, to let any pet smells out. Keep on top of washing their blankets and their baskets. And when it comes to washing the floors, you know, you need to give them a little bit more attention than just a quick vacuum. Make sure you're washing them at the same time and keeping those carpets clean as well. The pet hair that gets into your carpets, you know, you can't see it, but believe me, it's there. And when these machines pull it out, it's fascinating. And presumably uh, the notion of actually having staff to actually do the cleaning for you, that's not really going to be within the remit of most people, presumably. No, and I think, you know, obviously we're all trying to sort of, you know, save money where we can now and be mindful with what we're spending. And, you know, if you have the right tools at home and if you can break your day down and just allow yourself, you know, even if it's 30 minutes a day to do your cleaning, it's going to save you money in the long run. So, you know, invest in the right equipment, think about your day, plan your day and break it down into small chunks. Don't, don't do it all in one hit because you're going to get bored, you're going to get tired. And don't forget to delegate to the rest of the people that live in your home. Well, this is true. Of course, if you uh, are the sole occupant, that's a different line entirely. You're just going to have to sort of sort it out yourself, presumably. But there we are. That's yeah. a, that's a, another issue for another time. Uh, Lindsay, where can people find out more details about Bristol Survey? Is there a place you would actually suggest they could go to? Yeah, definitely. It's actually a really, really interesting survey. There's a lot more information on there that we haven't actually covered today. So if you go over to bissellsdirect.co.uk, have a read, and I think you'll find it quite fascinating. Well, clearly, Lindsay, your next text needs to be uh, Zen and the Art of a Clean Home, uh, <laughs> or, or uh, Clean Homes and Mindfulness, something along those sort of lines, or, or basically just you know, Lindsay's Guides to Happiness, you know, something like that would probably work. <laughs> there we are. Uh, for the moment, though, Lindsay Combe, uh, Crombie, I should say, many thanks indeed. Take on, keep, keep on keeping on and keep on cleaning. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Alex. Well, it's about that time of the year when we normally actually start running advisories to get your gas boiler checked, and rightly so, but this time around it's probably even more important given the cost of living crisis and so on. So not only do we actually welcome the awesomely talented Bob Kerr back to the uh, airwaves of Siren Radio. How are you, Bob? I'm good and awesomely talented. Thank well, you. Exactly, so. But we also uh, have the fantastic head of civil contingencies. That's the Met Office. That's Will Lang with us. How are you, Will? I'm very well, thank you, Alex. Excellent. Bob, let's come to you first, because as I say, this is an annual thing that uh, uh, people still tend to forget to do, but it seems as though there is the tendency, or there appears to be the tendency, to, to actually skip on that annual check just to actually save on costs and various other aspects. So can you just explain why it is important to get your gas appliances checked regularly? Um, well, I think, Alex, um, regular is the right word. All, and all gas appliances need to be serviced on a regular basis, in particular boilers. Um, boilers uh, are the main appliance in most homes for heating and hot water now. So they do deserve a, a regular checkup. And not to forget also that the last winter has been seemingly long. Uh, appliances have been used more because a lot more people working from home. So it's really vitally important that when we get into this time of year where the boilers might not be used as, as uh, frequently uh, or as much, um, that we take our time to make sure they're going to be working correctly and safely. But also it helps us with um, cutting down on, on fuel prices to make sure that that boiler is running efficiently. And that is obviously one of the key things in terms of an incentive to actually ensure that fuel prices are kept as far as possible within uh, reasonable boundaries and so on. Um, let's talk a little bit about, obviously, the, the, the challenges that would uh, take place if your boiler wasn't uh, serviced, though. I mean, we could be talking about anything from carbon monoxide poisoning to fire, presumably. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, if gas appliances aren't regular check, regularly checked, then um, th- this could lead to gas leaks. It could lead to, as you say, carbon monoxide poisoning where an appliance isn't working safely. Um, and signs to look for are floppy flames um, staining around the appliance. So it's the right thing to do to get someone who's qualified and registered on the gas safe register to come and have a look at that appliance and service it. Now, again, the campaign that is uh, being launched by the gas safety register is switch off and check on. Um, and presumably, again, it's best to do that when the weather is a little milder rather than saying, oh, I'll just put it off until, say, November. Absolutely. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, that the appliance will be less used as we get into warmer weather because we don't need the heating. So that's the time to get a qualified engineer in. Um, they will be um, less busy in the sense of breakdown work and repair work that we normally be doing in during the winter time. So now's the right time to look at that and get it done as soon as possible. Turning briefly to Will from the Met Office, I mean, um, British weather is obviously notoriously um, eccentric, uh, is possibly the kindest word I could say, but it gives us something to talk about. Um, how can we actually prepare for cold snaps? Because although we might think, oh, we're heading towards uh, uh, spring now, it's definitely sprung. Uh, I've known uh, snow to appear in April and May. Uh, so how do we actually sort of keep uh, ahead of the game, shall we say, Will? Well, that's a good point, Alex. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a little-known fact that it could snow, snow more at this time of year than it can at Christmas. And at this time of year, the weather can be very, very changeable, very volatile, many places bathed in sunshine for the last couple of weeks. And then we're going to see some pretty cold weather with some wintry showers over the next few days. And, and our advice here at the Met Office is, is always to be prepared for, for whatever the fickle British weather can throw at us. Uh, so we've partnered with Gas, Gas Safe, Safe Register, um, we are advising to people to take the opportunity to check their boiler safety, but that also comes as part of a, a wider suite of uh, uh, things that we can do to protect ourselves from severe weather. So if you go to the Met Office website and look at our weather ready campaign, there'll be all kinds of tips to protect yourself in cold weather, whether that being prepared for cap power cuts or, or problems with your plumbing, for example, but also summer weather as well. So there's plenty of top tips there, Alex. I've always tended to adhere to the old maxim, ne'er cast a clout till May is out, a kind of northern phrase, which basically says that the jumper stays on pretty much until May and then actually sort of goes off until uh, we return in uh, October time. I mean, is that as a fair overall line or are things getting even more changeable these days? Well, it, it, it may be that this is the this is the last of it uh, that we see over the coming days, but I'm not going to make that firm uh, commitment, uh, you know, what we forecasters are like. I mean, it, it, basically... Uh, things are going to get warmer. Summer will be on the way. We'll be into that uh, time when we should be checking everything uh, soon enough. But we're still at risk from cold snaps over the next few weeks or so. And Bob, from uh, your own perspective at the Gas Safe Register, I suspect you'll always wear your woolly jumpers until uh, it's, 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 it's safe to actually remove them. But uh, in, in terms of that, uh, we can't stress uh, highly enough that if you've got gas appliances, uh, it is important to get them signed up and, and checked. Presumably also another key point by a registered gas safety electrician or indeed gas safety engineer, I should say. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. You know, all, all the engineers registered on the Gas Safe Register are qualified um, and experienced to work on appliances. So if anyone needs to, to get an engineer in their local area, they can go onto our website, gassaferegister.co.uk, put in your postcode, uh, and it will uh, bring up the local engineers for you to contact. Or uh, any other issues, then give us a call on 0800 408 5500. 23 million homes in the UK connected to the gas grid. That's a lot of servicing, Bob. 
It is, uh, and there's a lot of engineers out there as well. And um, they're, they're, as, as I say, go onto the Gas Safe Register and uh, you'll find a local engineer in your area. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I must admit, I've been all electric for a considerable period of time. So uh, that's just one aspect of, of, of life, which has its own challenges. Will, just returning to yourself again, if people want to find out further details about how the Met Office have partnered up with the Gas Safe Register in terms of this for the switch off and check on campaign, where's the best, where's the best website to uh, head for? Well, there's the Gas Safe Register website itself. You can Google for that. And then as I said before, plenty of advice on the Met Office website. Look for weather ready at the Met Office. Will Lang from the Met Office and, of course, Bob Kerr from the Gas Safe Register area. Huge thanks. And, of course, stay safe. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Ah, oh, the future. It's not what we expected it to be. And maybe it's a case of it's even better or possibly even worse. But either way, uh, we still want to ensure that as far as possible, we take the opportunities and realise that it's never really too late to engage with a whole range of activities and new uh, futures in all sorts of ways and to actually talk us through the importance of ensuring that practical employment can uh, serve as an opportunity for everybody. We're delighted to welcome the Chief Commercial Officer of Avado, which delivers Fast Futures, the free digital business skills and mentoring programme for 18 to 24 year olds. Richard Haynes is with us. How are you, Richard? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. So again, it does seem as though that old Buddhist maxim of um, where there is choice, there is misery sometimes springs to mind. But we hear a great deal about upskilling uh, the young people today. Some choose to actually go to university. Some choose to go into further education. Some choose to actually leave education completely and go to something completely different. But either way, it does seem as though what uh, Fast Futures is actually offering is something that could be really useful for folk who are in that uh, initial uh, tranche of actually seeking work, getting on the, the, uh, the career ladder, etc. certainly in the 18 to 24 year old bracket. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I work for a business called Avada and we have lots of relationships with large employers in the UK as a, as a learning provider. And the thing that we hear most readily is that the gap between um, the skills that people leave traditional education with and then the skills that those em- that employers need from those young people to kind of get them into, the, into work and get them kind of working. And so in 2020, in the immediate uh, response, and, and that as a situation was only going to get worse as a result of the pandemic. So in 2020, we launched Fast Futures, um, which was designed to bridge that gap between uh, education and employment. So it's a 12-week immersive programme. Um, and crucially, rather than us building it in a dark room on our own, we've built it with some of the leading employers in the UK, you know, who can again, give us real world examples of the skills that they need from um, young talent coming into their organisation. So the likes of BT, Shell, LNG, the NHS. So it's, it's free to the learner. And we wanted that to be the case um, because we wanted to make it as inclusive as possible. And so uh, we encourage applicants from people of, of all backgrounds and with all um, educational kind of prior education attainments um, and um, and yeah and so since we uh, since we started the program uh, in late 2020 about 20,000 applicants um, and about 4,000 people have graduated from the program um, a good number of those I think over 50% of them have then gone on to um, either be employed directly by those um, 20 or so corporates that are involved in the program or have taken the skills, the digital future of work skills that they've attained on the programme and then used that um, to be more confident and more successful in their application for, for jobs outside the programme. So it's been a fantastic thing to be involved in and it, 
you know, at a time when, you know, there's lots of, you know, um, challenging situations that the world finds themselves in. Actually, I, I get the privilege of, of seeing and spending a bit of time with these young people and, and just realising just how much talent we have in the UK. And if we're just playing our small role in trying to wire some of that talent into where the opportunity is by just giving them a kind of a leg up and giving them a bit more confidence by helping to build some of those foundational skills. You mentioned some of the blue chip companies that are actually already involved with Avada. Uh, it is actually somewhat disappointing, however, that uh, UK employers apparently spend half the European average on training employees. I mean, is that just a case of, well, you know, Brexit's happened, so we don't have to train our employees. <laughs> They'll just learn as they go along. Yeah, I mean, it's sad. Um, yeah, it, it is sad. I think... Um, I, and I, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, it's a fallout of Brexit. I think you know this is a longer-standing issue. You know, the apprenticeship levy, um, which is a, the vehicle by which um, large organisations can use a proportion of their uh, their income to to kind of fund high-quality apprenticeship provision. You know, that, sadly, that is a, a, that is a pot of money that has is is not always spent. Um, in fact, is always not spent each year since its existence five six years ago. So, I think. One of, one of the things that I don't know, if I reflect back on you know, the career service, and I think it's probably similar today, I don't think there's a great amount of signposting of young people in terms of what they can then go and do. I think um, we did a survey recently where over 50% of people couldn't remember having a meaningful discussion uh, with their career service. And then two thirds of the people that did felt that it was not really fit for purpose. And I think what then happens is the default becomes people going to university which for some people that's great. And for lots of people, that's probably not suitable for a whole host of reasons. And, and, and they kind of, um, it, it, almost the employers then assume that all the skilling is being done in education and, and don't kind of play their full and proper role in, in continuing that kind of upskilling and, and uh, pathway for, for young people when they join the world of work. So, you know, we're very pro vocational training you know, using things like the apprenticeship levy, using things like other great sources of funding like the digital skills bootcamp funding, which allows you know, uh, organisations to reduce costs, to bring talent into the organisation. And those, those, that talent can be kind of skilled and can be trained alongside them, them working. And, and that's a model that uh, I think we've got all of the structure for in the UK. Um, but I, I don't think all of the kind of large and small and medium sized businesses are playing their full and proper role in making best use of some of that funding that is available um, to the detriment of themselves, but also to the detriment of the young people that could could have more opportunities as a result. We often like to talk about uh, lifelong learning and the mm -hmm. notion of uh, continually upskilling and working through that. Um, if somebody's listening to this and they're not in the 18 to 24 bracket, is it too late? Is it 25? You're over the hill. That's it. It's all <laughs> well, I spoke to somebody earlier in the week. I'm, I'm nearly uh, I'm nearly 40 next year and I'm still classifying myself as in my early career. Because I think, uh, you know, sadly, or we probably will all end up working probably not until 50, 60, but more like 70, 80, certainly young people of today. So yeah, it's never too, it's never too late. I think people will, I think, unquestionably have more employers and probably more careers than they would have done 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So I think there's a load of, um, you know, this programme is, is very squarely focused at those just getting their first step on the ladder. There are a load of um, programmes um, from, from the likes of Avado and, and, and others that are designed um, for people that are in the later stages of their career or mid to later career, um, which is, is focused around kind of reskilling, you know, 
lot, huge swathes of um, job opportunities that just didn't exist years ago because the jobs didn't exist, like data engineers. You know, there's nothing to stop, I don't think, somebody in their 40s, 50s, 60s retraining and reskilling to be a data engineer. That was not something that, a role that existed when they entered the working world. But there's no reason to think that, that they're not precluded from, they're precluded from that um, as they look to the kind of second half of their career. So I think you know, the skilling needs to happen at all levels. Um, I think is the, is the summary. We're, we're certainly looking today at the 18 to 24 year olds and indeed Fast Futures uh, as a free digital business skills and mentoring program. It is free, of course. Uh, how do people actually find out further information <laughs> about this and actually uh, listen to some of the success stories well, that Fast Futures has and how it may be for them? Yeah, well, I, I think we must be quite popular because I think if you just put Fast Futures in a well-known uh, search browser, um, then we come up we've come up pretty pretty high. So if you go to um, Fast Futures. Uh, .avardolearning.com. Uh, it's got all the details of the programme, um, the people that are sponsoring the programme, but probably most importantly is the learner stories. And I think there should be over the next couple of days a couple of links to um, individual learners um, who we've interviewed, who have been through the programme, um, have built some of the skills that they require to kind of access the working world and then have gone and done it and are now employed by um, you know, a host of uh, host of exciting uh, UK organisations. So, um, the, the our next cohort um, is open now. Uh, I think applications close uh, early to mid April, uh, and so if people are interested, um, follow the previous link or uh, whack it into your uh, search browser, and you'll um, and follow the details there. But you know, we um, we'd love to have more people involved in the program as we look to a, a kind of a, a, probably an even more successful kind of second year on the program. And just out of interest, Avado has its roots as a name because I keep thinking avocado. It's got nothing to do with fruits. <laughs> no, it's ne neither is it a fruit um, or is it a, a well-known home shopping delivery service. Um, yeah. um, so we've been confused with both over the years. But, um, or, or indeed but, uh, the song by Black Lace, which was Agadu, nothing to do with Avado. <laughs> no, not... Not, not guilty, I'm afraid. But um... well, that's good. That's good news, anyway. Uh, for the moment, the Richard Haynes, Chief Commercial Officer, Avavado. Many thanks indeed. And just to remind people again of the the West, best web address for people to go to, I want to listen to find out more about uh, Avado and yeah. Fast Futures. If, if you go to fastfutures.avadolearning.com. So according to Yakult, uh, we have a major issue when it comes to our understanding and education in Britain, especially when British people apparently think that ice cream, wine and biscuits count towards their plant-based food consumption, uh, with just two in every five people enjoying a different dinner each day of the week and more people having the same breakfast every day. It seems that variety is not the spice of life. So to talk about this particular study by Yakult, we're delighted to welcome an ace nutritionist who certainly will be able to to uh, talk about eating the rainbow and a variety of plant foods, foods and why it's good for you. Uh, of course, it is the awesome nutritionist, Kate Llewellyn Waters. How are you, Kate? I'm well. How are you, Alex? Excellent. I think I'm okay. Although I must admit, yeah, I'm probably one of those people who are guilty of, of pretty much staying pretty solid with one's dietary habits, etc. Uh, it would seem that actually we need to be a much more diverse people when it comes to the things we consume, Kate. That's totally true. In fact, only 2% of people surveyed actually eat the recommended 30 different plants a week. So diversity is at a minimum. So we really need to increase our intake of different plant foods. So ideally, we need to be aiming for the 30, but 65% of us 
eat 10 plant foods or less a week. Now, this is different plant foods. So we really need to mix it up and encourage a more varied diet. I was really surprised to find that one in every 20 people apparently believe that ice cream is a plant food. Um, it's a, a chemical, yes, but not a plant food. I suppose it depends how far back you go in terms of the origins of the whole thing, doesn't it, Kate? Completely. And actually 5% as well think fish and jelly are plant foods and 9% think biscuits and wine are as well. So there seems there's lots of confusion out there at the moment. So allowing for that confusion, the fact that clearly, as you say, we do need to uh, increase our intake of uh, different plant foods, etc. What advice would you actually give? I mean, this, this notion of eating the rainbow, how can that actually impact? That can really help because you think of the rainbow in lots of different colours. So automatically that will ensure more diversity of different plants. Also, the different colours, the fruits, the vegetables, the whole grains, they all contain different plant chemicals called polyphenols. So if you're eating the rainbow, you're taking in lots of different colours and lots of different polyphenols, which benefit our gut health. So they help the gut microbes, our gut bacteria, thrive so they can carry out their roles and functions more effectively. So by eating the rainbow, lots of different colours, you will ensure lots of diversity and lots of different health benefit in polyphenols. And it's not just, you know, the fruit and veg that counts. But also, like I mentioned, the whole grains, legumes, seeds, herbs, spices. So you can get your 30 different plant foods just by focusing on all of that range of variety. Yes, I mean, I must admit, though, there is a, a well-known confectionery brand to actually use the uh, notion of tasting the rainbow. And we don't want to mention them for obviously confusion reasons, but uh, it is important. Let's go back to Yakult, of course. Uh, Yakult, of course, good food for the gut. Um, and this is something where fermented foods can also help uh, general gut health, I believe. Yes, and it's important to get a daily dose of fermented foods because the live bacteria doesn't survive in our guts for long. So you need to take regularly a different fermented food. So lots of variety again and diversity because all these fermented foods actually have different bacteria, different live microbes. So it's really important that again, we look at diversity when it comes to fermented foods. And there's lots of different fermented foods out there. You've got fermented dairy, such as live natural yogurt, obviously a cult. You've got sauerkraut, which is fermented cabbage, miso, um, tofu, kimchi, which is a spicy vegetable dish. So there's lots out there, but it's really about education and again, trying these different foods and encouraging them in your daily diet. Mm. Pickled vegetables, as you mentioned, coming into place there. You've talked about pickled cabbage, sauerkraut. Uh, does the classic pickled onion uh, count or is that? <laughs> Onions are really important actually, because they've got lots of prebiotic fiber. And prebiotic fibre actually feeds our bacteria so they can carry out their functions. So it's important to have lots of prebiotic fibre. And again, that's found in your plant-based foods. And you might be eating some of these foods already. So apples, bananas, cauliflower, um, onions, like we mentioned, leeks, garlic, they all contain prebiotic fibre. So you want variety there as well. So again, it's trying to get those 30, the magic number, 30 different plant foods in your diet every week. 
Economists here, some of our listeners are saying, look, cost of living crises, all of the rest of the challenges, we can't afford to eat these kind of range of things there. Is it feasible that one can actually do this on a budget and actually still actually have a variety of, of food for one's family and for oneself that we actually need? Oh, completely, because tinned food and frozen, which is very cost effective to buy, that's actually, you know, very cheap and it's still very nutritious. And freezing is a good way to keep all the nutrients intact. So again, it benefits health and it doesn't have to be expensive. And when, you know, fruit and vegetables are out of season, you can actually get the frozen variety, keep them in the freezer. They're always to hand. You've got tinned foods so tinned legumes. They're great. So you think of beans and you've got a five bean tin, for example, um, in brine or water. And you've got five different types of beans there. So that's five different types of plant foods already. Mm. Add in some tomatoes, et cetera, onions, and you're already getting about eight or nine different plant foods in one meal. So you can eat on a budget completely. But what I would say is read the labels carefully and make sure there's no nasties, chemical additives added. But yeah, completely, you can eat on a budget by um, looking at the tinned and canned varieties and also the frozen. Yeah, those uh, added sugar things, they can be the killers. So make sure you check your labels is important. Kate, where can people go to to find out more details about this Yakult survey? Yes, go to the website. Um, it's www.yakult.co.uk. And also what's really helpful is they've got recipes on the website as well. So if you're looking to improve your gut health, which we all should be, and include in more plant foods in your diet, there's lots of really great recipes. So you've got um, lentil pomegranate salad, you've got mushroom and bean burgers, um, even an apple and rhubarb crumble. So lots of nutrients in all those meals. And it, there's a great synopsis for each of the recipes as well. So you understand what it's actually doing for your health. Um, but that can be a really good place to start. So head to the website and yeah, you'll find all the information there. Fantastic. I mean, again, in addition to that, one in every 20 people who believe that ice cream uh, was a plant food, I see that uh, 9% believe that biscuits, uh, wine, and indeed chocolate bars are also included in terms of this. Uh, no, not really. Not the best ways forward <laughs> to actually ensure good gut health. Kate Llewellyn Waters, uh, nutritionist extraordinaire. Huge thanks. And uh, keep on eating healthfully, Kate. Great. Thank, thank you, Alex. Thank you.